Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Chris Dieter, and here John. Hey, John. Hello. Okay, it's your turn. What'd you pick? Well, because this is going to be the capstone episode for our fifth year, episode 120, I was like, ah, oh, I should probably pick something that I've been holding on to and not wanting to pick for a couple of years now. So I chose uh, James Joyce's The Dead. T.S. Eliot called the greatest short story ever written. I was like, yeah, I've heard of we it. should probably say something about this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure I want to. But here it is. I picked it finally. And it's a really long short story, according to modern standards. How many words is this? Yeah, it's approaching 16,000 words, which is no short story venue. You look up whatever, take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although there are places that will will uh, publish up to 20,000, but in their like special, like this isn't a short story section. Or the New Yorker. The New Yorker part publishes super long stuff. Yeah, they don't care. Gabriel had not gone to the door with the others. He was in a dark part of the hall, gazing up the staircase. A woman was standing near the top of the first flight in the shadow also. He could not see her face, but he could see the terracotta and salmon pink panels of her skirt, which the shadow made appear black and white. It was his wife. She was leaning on the banisters, listening to something. Gabriel was surprised at her stillness and strained his ear to listen also. But he could hear little save the noise of laughter and dispute on the front steps, a few chords struck on the piano, and a few notes of a man's voice singing. He stood still in the gloom of the hall, trying to catch the air that the voice was singing and gazing up at his wife. There was grace and mystery in her attitude, as if she were a symbol of something. He asked himself, what is a woman standing on the stairs in the shadow, listening to distant music, a symbol of? If he were a painter, he would paint her in that attitude. Her blue felt hat would show off the bronze of her hair against the darkness, and the dark panels of her skirt would show off the light ones. Distant music, he would call the picture if he were a painter. The hall door was closed, and Aunt Kate, Aunt Julia, and Mary Jane came down the hall, still laughing. Well, isn't Freddy terrible, said Mary Jane. He's really terrible. Gabriel said nothing, but pointed up the stairs towards where his wife was standing. Now that the hall door was closed, the voice and the piano could be heard more clearly. Gabriel held up his hand for them to be silent. The song seemed to be in the old Irish tonality, and the singer seemed uncertain both of his words and of his voice. The voice made plaintive by the distance and by the singer's hoarseness faintly illuminated the cadence of the air with words expressing grief. Oh, the rain falls on my heavy locks, and the dew wets my skin. My babe lies cold. Oh, exclaimed Mary Jane, it's Bartell Darcy singing, and he wouldn't sing all the night. Oh, I'll get him to sing a song before he goes. Oh, do, Mary Jane, said Aunt Kate. Mary Jane brushed past the others and ran to the staircase, but before she reached it, the singing stopped and the piano was closed abruptly. Oh, what a pity, she cried. Is he coming down, Greta? Gabriel heard his wife answer yes and saw her come down towards them. A few steps behind her were Mr. Bartell Darcy and Miss O'Callaghan. It was a good part to read. So you, I mean, you talked about why you finally chose it. Yeah, I was originally thinking about it back when Rob was in the sh- on the show. I actually said, hey, Rob, would you want to read this super long story and we could do that maybe? And then he was like, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you had read this before, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I read the whole Dubliners before. And yeah, I've read like and Ulysses a couple. and Portrait. 
I didn't read yeah. Finnegan's Wake, though. I don't think I'd ever want to. But <laughs> when I did my study abroad thing in Ireland, it was like just like six weeks of fiction writing, you know. And so we had to talk about James Joyce, but we talked we talked mostly about like uh, modern Irish writers, believe it or not. But oh, yeah. uh, like my favorite thing to kind of like tell people was that there were literally more statues of James Joyce in Dublin than there were statues of God, and there were a lot of statues of God and Jesus, you know, like just yeah. like religious shit everywhere but believe it like i swear i saw more statues of james choice and then it was really cool because when you would tell people like why you were in dublin oh what are you studying well fiction they love that they loved their writers there and it was so cool and obviously because like you know a writer like this wrote about what it was like to be irish the details he puts in is like like this story dates to a specific day in a certain year and like the details that the characters like the house they're in the place they're at the key they walk down the taxis right. they catch the music performances they talk about are all things that were happening at the time they pass right. a statue that was actually there it's all timed out to be exactly the certain path through town it's just attention to that detail and like bringing real life dublin to life yeah and he did that in ulysses too and ulysses happens you know five months after the dead and some of the characters are alluded to you know like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah one of the right. ants has died since then and stuff yeah. like that yeah so it's really easy to understand why you would want to claim this as your writer that you know like there's american writers that do really well but you don't feel anything like associated with them but you might if there was a writer from ohio and like your small town you know you know what i mean like the same way that i feel like we've read a lot by like lauren groff and like it was really cool because she wasn't from florida but when she moved to florida she wrote about florida in a way that felt like florida like setting is so important and obviously this is more than setting it's everything associated with setting but that's why when it's overlooked, this is the other stuff that you miss, right? All the people that are really closely tied to the culture of that setting. So yeah. So what'd you like about this? Well, I mean, he's a master. There's a an interesting thing. You know, he does. It's like this, just this party atmosphere and kind of this like light dialogue and kind of. Yeah. And they're, they're, they touch on topics and they're talking and then he slips into like what I read, you know, there's these moments of description yeah. and like, and especially the end when Gabriel is reacting to what his wife just told him about this like person right. from her past, the shifts in tone, the shifts in like focus and like how he's presenting things, you know, some writers are really good at one thing, like this writer's so good at dialogue, but then the, you kind of like breeze past the description or he doesn't do a lot of it or, yeah. or whatever. Everything he touches in this story is just perfectly done. Right. And even the shifts in and out. One of the reasons I liked reading that section I read was because it has that moment of he's painting a picture of his wife standing at the top. He's even thinking the character is even thinking about it as a picture, as a painting. And then it goes into this like almost banal conversation afterwards. I don't know. It's just those moves are so well crafted. Uh He obviously worked very hard to do that. So I just enjoy that. I just enjoy watching that happen on the page, you know? (laughs) experiencing right. it yeah it like you said the party atmosphere feels really real that way where you could be at a party and there's a lot of stuff going on all at once and then you're floating like he said in between these conversations but then you also have private moments to yourself and uh it was kind of hard for me to like get a footing on the story like you i don't think you really know where it's going to go until that section that you read you don't really know what the takeaway is necessarily going to be i read this forever ago but like reading it again i, I was trying to remember you know 
like, does this Lily girl come back? You know, because that's like the first thing that kind of kicks it off and you're kind of like reading and waiting for the next interaction there. But then you kind of realize, okay, this is not the direction. This doesn't circle back in any like direct way. And then like he has a couple of these like kind of skirmishes. I don't know, like these like tense conversations with like the one lady that like dips out early. There's so many characters. Yeah. She's like, you're not, you're not really Irish. Yeah. Yes. And then he gives his speech, but even the speech doesn't necessarily feel like the point yet. And it's not until that moment where, like you said, it's this like moment of like the deep introspection and it's, we've gotten away from the dialogue that you can kind of like hone in on what it is you're supposed to pay attention to. Cause by then you can tell like there's a third of the story left or whatever. And like, that's probably what's going to happen. And also that's for the shift where they leave the party and the story's still going on. So I thought it was interesting that way too, that it felt like a real night out where you might go out and think like the highlight's going to be when I give this speech, but really like your takeaway is going to be something like wildly different from that night. And it's because of what's going on in your own head. Yeah. That was another reason I read that section is because what I was talking about with those shifts, like this was the first major, I mean, he does it throughout. There's moments throughout, but in this one, reading it, it felt like just this, like the world was spinning on this moment, right? Yeah. You know, you have this, he suddenly sees his wife at the top of the stairs, like in stillness and you feel the weight of it. He managed to like impart this immense kind of potential right? and all these questions about it. I don't know. I'd have to dig into it to see if there's any like trick there that you could like learn from. But somehow that moment is painted in such a way that you feel the weight of it, even as it's pressing the story forward. I mean, there might be something like that you could reread that section and really pull out like this is how it's being done. Like like you said, some trick. But I think like the general advice that we give readers all the time is kind of like if you want us to pay attention to something, you slow down. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. And and it's just this, this, this abrupt shift where like we're actually taking time to notice everything that he's noticing and it's because like it's the first time in this story that he like there's a couple times it kind of seems like he doesn't want to be there you know he's a little uncomfortable the whole time he's anxious about his speech the whole time so he's like on edge he's on edge and then like even like when he carves the turkey it talks about like how he finally feels like he's like comfortable but then it's like he's like looking at his wife and it feels like it's the first time he slows down too and sees something other than his wife listening to something like he all of a sudden like you know it's it's that moment in that scene where he pauses to look at her but then like the shift that goes on in his head and continues until the end of the story is that like he's feeling in love with her again for the first time in a while and like he's remembering like their courtship and all this kind of stuff but he has like a real tenderness toward her that earlier there's like one or two little things where he says something to her like well then if you want to go to Ireland like if you want to go to this part of the country go ahead you know and it's when he's having that argument about like how he doesn't want to visit other parts of Ireland and there's like one other thing where he like it felt dismissive of her yeah, he was distracted through so much of it and then like now that it's yeah yeah he was like distracted and rude and now he's he's done with the hard part of his evening and you could kind of see him focusing it on the kind of the point here and i because i was even surprised rereading this that you didn't experience that kind of calm or anything come over him when the speech was over like the speech it seemed to go off well enough like people cried and were like oh thanks they're all singing at the end and <laughs> yeah but it wasn't there wasn't a shift in him where he was like oh that was so good i feel you know what i mean there wasn't yeah. this like powerful moment that way it wasn't until he was like looking at his wife and then you could really see yeah but i think it's just a matter of slowing down yeah that is that's um rhythm right it's about rhythm yeah. and choices uh pays attention to rhythm for sure i didn't in reading this this time kind of like try to break down any rhythms but i'm sure if we looked at it there's a certain rhythm to it even the way he does his dialogue is rhythmic you know like he doesn't use quotation marks use the dashes and like breaks it up that way i guess that was like the european style 
at the time, but he liked it better. Right. I think something like a setting, like a party is helpful in those kinds of rhythms too. Because I feel like we see other stories that maybe take place over a longer period of time. This is over the period of one night, you know, and it's a very late party. So it goes on for hours and hours and there's like, you know, they leave the party eventually, but it's not like three weeks later or whenever they're thinking about this party. There's something to be said about the pace of like an evening in itself, you know? I think what people struggle with with pacing is like, now I fast forward two weeks or now we have another day. Do I yes. do I do the next day and the next day? And with something like a party, it's like you can kind of like imagine like how it kind of goes. I'm not saying that this is like a crutch or something or like a trick even, but there you can probably imagine other types of events that you could use if you struggle with pacing to kind of like force yourself to slow down and focus on what's important. Because if you're, if you have to focus on an evening, if you have to focus on three hours, like reading this story for the length of the story and the length of time covered in it, it feels as long as the evening. It feels like you could have been there listening to like full conversations. They're not like hinted at. They're really like kind of played out. I like the section where Gabriel was talking to the other woman. I forget her name, unfortunately. I know. There's like like 30. She was giving him crap about writing for that one publication. And he's like, oh no, it's not political. I'm just doing literature reviews. But the whole time they're doing, they're having that conversation. They're part of a dance. Yeah. And it's one of those dances where people are moving in coordinated ways and they're exchanging and like linking arms and walking around and I don't know anything about the, I, I couldn't I don't know exactly I couldn't predict what would happen next I don't know these dances but it was it's um part of that pacing and part of that like the details that like give us the um the pace of the party it's like we're all part of this dance yeah like uh you could imagine a story that you might write about a wedding you oh, know yeah. and each of these things are these kind of built-in points in your story that would help you with pacing This is like kind of unrelated, but I also like reading this again, like it it literally has been so long. By the time I realized what it was about, I was like, oh, right. So I feel like an idiot not being able to like recall it right away. But I was reading this and I was like, I don't even remember who the main character's point of view is because the story literally starts before Gabriel's arrived. Yeah. You think it's Lily because of the way the opening is. And then you have the interaction with Lily, but then you start following Gabriel, but then you're still like at a distance from him where... I meant to like write this down. There is a line... So it's the conversation that he has with Lily. So it's like he's just come in the door. He's just starting to have this conversation. It says Gabriel colored as if he felt he had made a mistake. So like it was that like language like that, which still made me wonder like, okay, so we're not at a close, we're not in his head as if he felt, you know what I mean? So it's like, and he colored, which is something that like Lily could observe. So like, I'm still like reading the scene as if it's like from Lily's point of view. And then it's like, well, we actually were in his head, you know, there's the scene like you read or he's observing his wife. But then even at the very end, you could make an argument that the reader is doing a little more work to truly understand what Gabriel is feeling about like what his like lesson has been, right? Because he doesn't come out and say it for the benefit of the reader. And like, we don't, we still feel like we're at like this like remove from him. But when I was reading like criticism about the story, it seems like that's almost like a feature of all of these short stories. I think think that when Joyce was writing this, and it's not, it's, this isn't 100%, but you know, this is pre the pre-modern, the word modern's annoying because it's an actual time in writing and art. 
the modern era, but uh, it was a long time ago. So just to talk of it this way, but he was right at the brink of that, right at the beginning of the modern, um, the modernists. And uh, I don't think that point of view nowadays, well, yeah. you go to a workshop, people are going to talk about point of view for hours at end. Yes. And like, oh, you this sentence is wrong. It's the wrong point of view. But nobody cared back then. And right. I think people like Joyce and like some of the other people who are doing things about like, because he did stream of consciousness. A lot of that stream of consciousness stuff influenced this, but you're more, con- we have become more concerned with point of view because of the work they did. And obviously he does maintain a point of view, but it's like you can step back from a point of view. And that's what a lot of workshop advice kind of forgets sometimes, I think, is that it doesn't always have to be close. You can be third person and step back and be outside of their head looking at bigger picture stuff. And that's part of the point of the story, right? Like you were about to say, is you're close in his head when you need to be, but the story isn't about that. It's about bigger things. It's about larger picture things. Yeah. And I don't know necessarily that even he as the main character is coming to the conclusion that the reader is. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a lot of times, like we think that we need to be on the same like journey as the character, like that we also have to discover alongside them what they're thinking and feeling. But that's not always like the big point. So like I don't know, I don't because like I'm reading this and I'm like Gabriel seems like very much caught up with his own situation. You know, like he has this like bumble with the maid Lily or whatever, and he's like, oh god, that went, that went poorly. Like I don't know what to do. Here's my watch. Like what? Start the night off on a wrong foot. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. And then like he has like I said like these a couple moments where he seems like distracted and dismissive of his wife and then like you know like I said this tender moment where he's looking at her listening to the music and he's describing her like she looks like a painting that he would call music in the distance you know like you suddenly have this like fondness for him where he's like feeling this again for his wife and then it very quickly turns into like oh I want to like get naked with her and then he's like annoyed which is fine but then he's like annoyed when she starts crying (laughs) and then he has like this you know what I mean he still is like so caught up with his own internal world that he's just almost miffed that he's found out that she has one and it's like okay yeah, that's the point too right <laughs> yeah I know it's like okay well I'm not having the same reaction that he is so like the ending yes. there where he's describing like snow falling all over Dublin like over the whole country yeah all, it's, all it's of even, Ireland it's even touching the dead boy like it seems it's like this unusual like unusual circumstance yeah. This is like a novel thing for him. And he's like, what? But like, I still don't know that he is taking away the same thing. And so there's something, there's a benefit, I guess, to this like remove that we have as the narrator. And like, you know, the fact that he's playing loose with rules that we feel are rules these days. That does a lot of work for the story. But I also like in reading like about this again, and this is on Wikipedia. So I feel like even bad, like kind of like pointing it out. But like, I felt really good when I like read this part because I was like, this is what I felt like I was noticing. But it said, it's argued that the narrators and Dubliners in the whole short story collection rarely mediate, which means that there are limited descriptions of their thoughts and emotions and practice said to accompany narratorial visibility where the narrator sees instead of tells. And that's kind of what it feels like is happening like throughout. Like that's why it feels like you have like a loose footing on, okay, is this Lily or Gabriel? Okay, it's Gabriel. Does he hate his wife? No, he's just like kind of distracted right now. But like we don't fully hear him even say he's distracted. There's like a lot of things that like you're piecing together as the reader that I feel like today would be like explicit you know yeah 
I kind of like this style because I feel like uh, it's a lost art to let the reader come to their own conclusion. We hate like when something's nebulous. We hate when we're not totally sure. It's so funny that the great writers are write this like J.D. Salinger, like when we did the episode on uh, Perfect Day for Banana Fish, right? His narrator is just a camera, right? Yeah. It just describes exactly what's happening. And Joyce does that a lot. Too. That's that's why the, the article says the narrator doesn't mediate. It doesn't right. like step in and tell you what to think. It's like a window. You're just like, here's what's outside the window. Look at it. Right. And um, we have to like perfect day for banana fish. Why did he kill himself at the end? Right. It doesn't tell yeah. us. We have no idea. Spoiler. Sorry. But <laughs> And in this story, the narrator is not going to come out and say, like, you know, like um, Twilight Zone. It's like, and that's why you don't, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you always leave a note. That's Arrested Development. <laughs> Arrested Development. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of Rod Sterling, but <laughs> that would probably be, would have been better. <laughs> But the narrator is never going to tell us what to think. The narrator is just going to explain what's happening. And we have to think for ourselves, right? right? We have to feel the story ourselves and experience it. Like the point of looking out the window at the story is to experience it, to feel it. Right. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that part of it too. I feel like occasionally I have written stories where I want to do something like what James Joyce did with this last paragraph, which is you kind of oh, yeah. zoom all the way back. And like, I don't ever know why I want to do it, but it's usually the stories that when I present them to a workshop, people are like, we have no fucking clue what you just did there or why. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know either, you know? And it's because like these days we feel like it is a rule to say something explicitly or to be so close in the, narr- in the narrator's head, the main character's head that like, it's obvious that there can be no work on the part of the reader, you know? And here, I don't think that James Joyce would be accused of giving any kind of like ambivalent answer, but I feel like the readers maybe of that day would have been more inclined or willing or able and ready to like make the interpretation themselves and to get it right. You know, like he's having this like epiphany about like the fact that when you die, people still remember you (laughs) like, whoa, (laughs) but he doesn't say that. And it's still really easy when a story is called the dead to like draw that conclusion. But I feel like because because I think there's something like beautiful about the way this is written where it's not explicit there's something beautiful about implying things and and that kind of language is really strong and like that you can like want to leave readers with a feeling versus a phrase or a lesson you know something like so tangible that's how the story gets to be about more than one thing you know because it's also about dublin it's also about questions of irish politics you know it's also about small character things like the whole conversation between gabriel and that woman who was giving him hard time for writing in that one publication it works together but you know you can pull those pieces apart and like if you want to call them a theme right. the theme is can be this and it can also be this and this and this because these are all things that are touched on and this is mostly possible because the narrator isn't telling us <laughs> right yeah maybe it's also like a benefit of the length of the, of the story right that we could have a story like that you said that can be about several things not just touch on them obviously most stories touch on several things but like this story can be about several things because we spend time on each of those things because we have the space for it and like you said this is of a real tangible time and place that would maybe make the reader of that time and place 
able to draw the right conclusions when these things are merely touched upon or implied. They might be the ideal reader. They get it. It was written for them. No wonder they love it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so much, there's celebration and I don't know if you got to participate in these things, but like Bloomsday is celebrated every year. Like when Leopold Bloom walks through Dublin, you know, you can actually trace his route. It's kind of amazing. Those kinds of things just like let you ground it in certain places and participate and feel to be part of the story. Like it would be cool to go to the place, the house where this party was supposed to have happened, you know? Yeah, exactly. And look and be like, oh, you can imagine Gabriel walking out of that with, out, out that door and like. And then you get to, if you do that, you get to say, oh, wow, Joyce is really good at noticing details. Like, look at the way he described that window that was over her head when it was like lighting her with the yeah. shadows and stuff. It's like, oh, that window really is there. Right. You really captured that. Yeah. I don't actually know if that window is really there, but. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like to have that specificity is cool. The other thing I read was that he shopped Dubliners around to like 18 publishers. Really? One of the reasons I wanted to do this story like years ago is I can't even remember where I read this, but the description has always been there was like short stories, short fiction before James Joyce and there's short fiction after James Joyce. And there was like a pivotal moment in the history of short fiction. He demonstrated to the world, this is what you can do with this art form. Yeah. And people were like, wow, I want to do that. And like, that has like influenced everything for a hundred years since. Right. But you know, when you do that kind of stuff, like people don't necessarily recognize it immediately, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you're writing very much of your time and place, it's not going to be recognized as like uh part of the country's identity. It's like, there's probably a lot of people writing of the time and place, but yours is going to be the standout maybe after the fact. There is a point in the story. Like, you know, what is the story? Gabriel shows up to a party. He has a couple awkward interactions. He's just anxious about this speech he has to give. They dance. He has a conversation with someone while they're dancing. They all go to dinner. He carves a goose. He gives up speech. And then they kind of hang out for a minute. And then it's time for people to leave. If somebody they're trying to catch taxis, he sees his wife on the stairs. They go to a hotel. Right. He wants to, like you said, get naked with her. But she's <laughs> lost in thought because she's remembering this boy that loved her so much that she can't forget him. And he's disappointed by that and tries to fall asleep, but instead contemplates the snow falling and everything. You know, it's not the most... Like, what is the, before that moment on the stairs that I read, the driving force of the narrative is mostly like anticipation of the speech. He's like obsessing over it. Is it going to be good? I don't know. I'm going to talk about, you know, Paris and I'm going to talk about these other Greek things. And will that come out appropriately? I don't know. I remember reading Alexandre Dumas, The Man in the Iron Mask. I I didn't finish it, but I started reading it. It was basically the Musketeers, I assume, going, I forget if they are all invited or one of them was invited and they were all going to go to this party. And but first they have to go and buy new clothes. And so it was all of them going to the shop and like just like being boisterous in the shop and talking about all the new styles and what they're going to buy and stuff like that. And I this was a long this is when I was young. I got very bored and stopped reading. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I could see that happening with a story like this, where if you're not picking up on the nuances of what's going on. Yeah. It's it's just a party. It's just people talking, you know, especially editors. They're reading too fast. Right. You got to slow down to catch 
things sometimes, you know? Yeah. You have to enjoy the actual like line by line. And there is enough going on here. Like, I think it moved fast enough, even though you didn't know where it was going, you know? But yeah, no, for sure. Unless you like totally are interested in the line by line or unless you're like told because you're going to a fiction writing workshop in Dublin that you have to read this. (laughs) You have to read it and you have to like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have, oh, you have to fucking like it. Yeah. There's no option. You'll be uh, deported. Yeah. Yeah. It is subtle. Rereading it for the podcast. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) say. No, I know. As I was reading it, but we've obviously said a lot. We've said enough. And that is (laughs) the end. No takeaways. This is great. The only, I guess I forgot about a takeaway, but my only takeaway would be like kind of what we talked about with this like remove and the idea that you, like you said, this was probably before we cared as much as we do about point of view. And I don't know, it's like one of those like takeaways where you don't want people to break the rules until they understand them. But there are reasons and ways that you can do that thing where you zoom all the way out and you kind of let the reader not figure it out. I never want to imply like being like obscure, obscure. But there's something really nice about, like I said, like implying something pretty directly versus like explicitly saying it. Like that last paragraph just like leaves you with this mood and this feeling. And whether or not Gabriel's getting it totally right, you can kind of take all of what you've read about this evening and piece it together and know what it means to like reflect on your own mortality, whether your wife's going to cry for you, like that kind of stuff. And I don't know, there's there's something really powerful about that that I don't always get it right, but I feel like those are the stories that I really like a lot that have a, a an ending that way. Um, I don't like twist endings. I don't like surprise endings. I don't like endings where a narrator or a character says something really like clever, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or these like sweeping paragraphs that like tell you explicitly the lesson. And I don't even necessarily have examples of that kind of stuff, but I really, really like these ones that zoom all the way out and just like give you like a scene. We're literally talking about snow falling. We're not yeah. talking about like, and Gabriel sat and thought, I hope my wife cries for me when I'm dead. I think that's, this is a thing of, it's, it is still point of view, you know, point of view kind of rules everything, even if people weren't thinking about it. And I I know Joyce was thinking about it because he obviously wound up writing Ulysses, which is stream of consciousness and internal monologue kind of stuff that he did with that. Right. But when you're in a character's head, you're kind of presenting what that character is experiencing moment to moment. When you pull back out of the head and look at the character, you're kind of presenting the character himself to the reader. Right. And then if you present the character you pull back even farther you present the character inside a building as something's happening outside of it you know then you're presenting that to the reader it's right. like point of view kind of controls what you're mo- making the reader focus on and so when you pull back like that then you you're kind of broadening the reader's perspective which is another word for point of view right you're broadening what they have the materials with which to leave the story behind and their last impressions of it right. and i think that you are in that moment leaving the character because the character is part of the scene that you're trying to establish as the thing that the reader is going to reflect on at the end, rather than their impressions of the scene being the last thing that you're going to leave for the reader. Right. So then you're, you're giving the, the reader a chance to like reflect on the character outside of it, of the character's own experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We have to it's think about Gabriel. Complicated way of saying that. <laughs> well, yeah. So what is your takeaway other than 
I guess my takeaway is thinking about what's possible, you know, to do in fiction. Like, like I mentioned, Joyce uh, is said to have like redefined what's possible with through this story, and you can see echoes of what he does in here throughout any story you read up to yeah. today. And other people have done that along the way. There's been other moments of like expansion, and so, but a story like this, you know, just thinking about how he goes from the small elements to the big elements, but what he maintains all the time is what fiction is at its core is a representation of things that happened, right? You're always seeing characters doing things, you know? I like it when fiction stays fictive, when it's not an essay. Yeah. <laughs> and maintaining some kind of narrative point of view on things that allows us to expand our point, our perspective on things, but also focus on the characters in the scene. Right. You can imagine this being rewritten as, think about all the all the people who have died. Think about who remembers them. And they're just like this kind of un concrete abstract idea but right. it's the concrete stuff that lends the power to the abstract in fiction so the fact that he is so attentive to detail and is able to say this universal thing the connection between the specific and the universal that he pulls off that's the thing that you want to think uh, that i would take away from this is thinking about how concrete specifics minutiae even can connect right. with universals all right thanks guys if you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash whyisthisgoodpodcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.